Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Endurance Minded. It's the podcast that looks at the psychological and emotional components of endurance sports and how they impact performance. I'm your host, Taylor Thomas, founder and coach at TEC, and I uh, want to start by wishing everyone uh, a happy new year. This is the first Endurance Minded uh, podcast episode for 2021. Um, so many of us are looking forward to 2021. Uh, 2020 was uh, was a hell of a year for for most folks uh, in the world. Um, certainly disruptive in many ways. Um, and so many of us have our sights set on on a new year. Um, even without everything that that 2020 brought, uh, New Year's are an opportunity to uh, to look forward, to set new goals. Um, to found uh, or form new habits, um, and to think about how we can improve on the last year. And that's kind of a natural um, trajectory and a natural mindset that so many of us find ourselves in uh, when the calendar switches to a new year. Um, and so with that in mind, one of the areas that I've been uh, thinking a lot about, um, been doing a fair amount of research, um, and, and also it, it has built on, or it's kind of a natural progression from a lot of the things that we've been talking about, um, in the last several months here on endurance minded. Um, and so what I want to talk about today and where I've been spending uh, a lot of, uh, my own time is thinking about habits. Um, and this seemed like a good time to talk about habits, the new year, again, um, typically brings uh, folks to think about New Year's resolutions. Uh, we think about forming new habits. We think about getting healthier, committing to more exercise, um, you know, eating better, uh, any number of things. And they don't have to be health-related, but so often they are. And, of course, that's, um, that's in line with, uh, with what we want to focus on um, on this podcast is how we can use the psychology of endurance sports to make us better athletes. So started thinking about habits as we all uh, start to think about how to, to form new ones and to make the ones that we do have in place stronger. Um, and I'll start by saying that, that a lot of the research that I've been doing um, has come from a, a really great psychologist named named Wendy Wood. She's a psychologist at the, at the University of Southern California, um, and she um, has released a new book um, back a year or so ago, um, as well as has been on lots of other podcasts, put out lots of information about this concept or this the, the, just the study of how we form uh, lasting habits, and, and more specifically, where we're kind of fundamentally flawed in our thinking about habits. Um, so let's start by defining what a habit is, because what we realize when we start to think about habits and what I realized when I started to do research uh, on habitual activities is that we think we know what a habit is. We think we have an understanding of how we build those habits but the research shows us that that is actually not the case, largely. There's some flaws in our thinking about how we 
uh, how we build lasting habits, how we get there, and the tools we need to make them stick. So a habit is a a learning mechanism. Um, It's something that we repeat and we get rewarded for it. So we can think of it as kind of a mental shortcut to get us to a place of reward. Um, And what we... Uh, what the science tells us is that when asked if we understand what a habit is, um, 80% of us say that, um, that we do. We, we know what a habit is. But when we look at how many of us are successful in forming long-lasting habits, um, it's very, very few of us. Um, and so there's a disconnect, right? We say, yep, I got it. I know what a habit is. And then when it comes down to put it in action or to form those habits, um, so many of us struggle, right? We see this, again, specific to the time period that we're in. We see this time and time again where there's a surge in gym memberships. There's a surge in um, people jumping on board with particular diets. There's there's all these um, these well-intentioned individuals that are looking to build um, healthy habits and they don't they don't stick, right? It lasts through January, it lasts through February, um, whatever it is. And, and then they, they ultimately, unfortunately, fall back into um, some of their bad habits. So it's also important to realize that while I'm going to be talking about how to form positive or good habits, of course, there's bad habits as well. And we can, we can fall into those. The way that those are formed is the same way that, that good habits are formed. So um, again, because it's, it's, a, it's a mechanism that allows us to repeat something where we get rewarded. So the reward can be positive or negative. An example of that would be if we walk by a vending machine um, every day on the way to, uh, to work or school or whatever it is, and one of those days we were running short on time, we were hungry, we grabbed something out of the vending machine that was sweet or salty, it tasted good, that was a reward, that that reaffirmed the decision that we made because it tastes good. So we decided to do that again the next day and the next day. So that becomes potentially a negative habit. We're going to assume that whatever is in that vending machine is not, not the best decision we could make for our meal choice. So that's an example of how that that behavior can can go good or bad. Um, and again, it's because of the reward. And we'll get a little bit more into the science of that reward and the, the neural um, uh, response uh, in our brains and why that is uh, kind of reaffirmed um, in, in, a, in a relatively short period of time. Um, so the next thing that uh, so, so so now that we've defined what a habit is right we we know that it's you know in, in our in our minds we know that a habit is something we do habitually it's something that we do day after day without thinking about it um it's like putting on our shoes and then tying our our shoelaces right we don't think about that step we know that the next step is uh, is to tie our shoelaces and we can actually think about other things while we're doing uh, performing that habit. Um, so, so that's, that's where we want to kind of shift our minds when it comes to, to habits. Um, next is that we, or, or specific to this time of year, um, and 
this kind of surge in habit-forming behavior, we, we, have, we think that, and this ties back to the study that I touched on about uh, asking people if they know what habits are and then, and then seeing if they follow through with them. So when we ask people about habits, um, we often get the response that habits are linked to or, or people that are more successful in forming habits have two things. They have more self-control and they have more willpower. And what we have seen from uh, f- the science behind habits um, and habit forming is that that's actually not the case. There's actually very little link between self-control and, uh, and long, um, uh, long-standing habits. Um, and again, I'll get into why that is, but that's the first real distinction to make is that when we think about habits, when we start to think about what we want to put into place, the tools we want to implement or the tools we need to to develop and the skills we need to gain to build lasting habits, um, self-control and willpower are a very, very small part of the equation, meaning that it's not a function of willing it into place, right? If we just grit our teeth and make it happen, that's what creates the habit. That's not the case, at least for the long term, at least for habits that last and stick um, and uh, ones that we can see through um, and become part part of our lives. So we want to we want to disconnect as we start to kind of venture down this road. We want to just make sure that that the distinction is clear that a habit is not something that just comes from hard work. Um, it doesn't come from, again, willpower and self-control. And we've seen that people with um, more self-control actually don't have um, more habits or aren't as likely to or any more likely to stick to their habits than folks that don't. So that's an important kind of thing to, to keep in our minds as we, as we move forward. Um, the next thing, kind of contextually, that's important to know about habits is that the people that we surround ourselves with um, are a really important part of habit forming. The reason for that is that the people in our lives, um, whether it be partners, kids, coworkers, coaches, um, they are cues that, um, that spark... Um, us to realize or understand that it's time to execute on a habit. So something as simple as um, you wake up in the morning and maybe you make coffee. And you do that because uh, maybe your partner is helping prepare breakfast. So that that spatial recognition, the fact that that one person is doing one thing means that you do another thing, and you've done that over and over again, day after day, for however many uh, months or years, that becomes an important cue. Uh, if you remove that person from the equation, mentally, we're not able to make um, that jump quite as easily, or we're not cued um, in in a as much of a straightforward manner. So, so the relationships that we found or or form around us. Um, really impact our ability to to maintain habits. And 
you know, that really ties into a lot of what we've talked about uh, here on Endurance Minded when it comes to uh, things like athletic identity, when it comes to intrinsic and extrinsic motivations, goal setting. It's important to put people around you um, that are going to help you achieve your goals. Um, and so that relationship component um, bleeds into the habit forming process um, because there's really three components of, um, of successful habits. The first one is context. So again, this is kind of the relationship piece. Where does that habit take place? In what context? Um, repetition. We have to do it uh, over and over again. We all know that's part of, of habit forming. And then the reward piece. So what is, what is our reward for doing that? Um, and I'm going to expand on the reward piece um, in a little bit. But just keep in mind, Again, the kind of context piece is, is just as important. And so, so often in context, we live our lives around other people. And so those, those people become important cues um, for us to create good habits. So um, that's, that can be an important communication piece specific to athletes when it comes to carving out time for workouts or carving out time for, uh, for training or self-care um, or you know any of the facets of being an athlete. We want to make sure that the people around us are on the same page, on the same schedule, so that that cue can reinforce those good habits. If we, if we don't have those things uh, in context and we're not able to repeat them, we'll never get the reward, which means the habit won't form. So um, there's so to expand on the reward piece um, because that's really the the key, right? The willpower and the self control. That's what we've maybe traditionally. I'll, I'll use you know myself as an example that it just takes wanting to do it to form a habit. So as an athlete, you know I want to be fit. I want to be competitive. I want to be the best version of myself. I'm just going to make sure that I have enough willpower and self-control to get on my bike or go for a run or do my strength training or whatever it is. I'm going to do that every day until, until that's just part of my life. Um, and I think that's how a lot of folks approach things. You know, it's how a lot of athletes I talk to approach things. Um, and that's the real again, that's the real kind of disconnect. So where habits really come from is the reward piece. So again, we defined habit early on as a mechanism we repeat to get a reward. Um, so the reward is, is a key, um, a key distinction there. And, um, habits thrive on immediate rewards. So what makes them repeatable is that we get an immediate reward. So if we look at the neuroscience behind habits, we uh, the reason that reward works is because when we get that reward, it releases dopamine. Uh, dopamine is a chemical in the brain that helps us feel or allows us to feel satisfied. That dopamine release um, only lasts for about a minute. There's a there's a 60 second window, give or take, where that uh, that dopamine uh, can be released or be cued by the reward, and that we get that satisfactory response. So if we don't get the immediate reward, uh, the, the time has passed, um, and that becomes, um, becomes much harder 
to put um, habits into uh, into place um, because the reward piece is really important. So one of the things, um, and I want to play off some past podcast episodes because I, I think that there's a really interesting link here um, between this reward component of habits and this uh, intrinsic, extrinsic uh, motivators that we've talked about before. So balance is really the key, right? We need a balance of intrinsic and extrinsic um, to be the reward, to be the thing that cues that dopamine response um, in order to, um, to make things habitual. So I've talked about on past episodes that when we, t- when we talk about goals, um, when we talk about um, motivators, things that, that move us forward, we need a balance of intrinsic and extrinsic. So we think about it through the lens of habit forming. The same really holds true is that if we have extrinsic motivators, extrinsic rewards as the only thing that we're counting on to reward us, that can be far away, right? So um, let's take an event, for example. If we're saying, okay, uh, for the next 12, uh, you know, 12 weeks, uh, six months, whatever, uh, I'm going to commit to forming a habit around exercise that gets me to um, to this event in a place where I feel confident, um, where I'm going to have some level of success in line with my expectations. Well, if that's if if that's the reward, that's not immediate enough, right? It's too far away. Um, so that's an extrinsic reward that that will eventually come, but the intrinsic piece. Um, has to be in place to get that immediate dopamine response. So we need things like, um, I feel better about myself, right? I do this workout, I have more energy, I feel accomplished, um, I feel satisfied. That's that's an intrinsic motivator. That's a process-based goal that's going to provide that immediate dose response that helps to build habits. Um, so we can see, you know, we've talked about intrinsic and extrinsic through the lens of goal setting and expectations. But once we go down this path of habits, we start to see that it really is overarching that scientifically, we can't just have extrinsic hanging out there like a carrot on a stick because it's too far away. Um, and it's not going to allow us to build those habits that reinforce positive behaviors that take us where we want to go. So defining what that is, again, which we've talked about on past episodes, um, is, is really important because we need to make sure that we set ourselves up to be able to receive that reward. Um, so think about what that could be for you. And a lot of times it's, it's unconscious, right? We, we do a thing and we feel a sense of satisfaction um, that provides that reward. Um, so it doesn't necessarily have to be task oriented, um, or it doesn't have to be physical, but we need to be able to feed off of, um, of that reward response system, uh, in order to build, to build healthy habits. Um, so, um, the, the other thing that I think is really interesting as it relates to athletes, I mean, this is, this is overarching. The, the, the myth that I uncovered when I was doing um, research on, uh, on habits is that, you know, we've always been told, or at least I've heard, that habits um, takes 21 days to form a habit. 
Um, you know, I've heard 30 days. I've heard in relatively short periods of time. If you do something habitually, if you do something in this context repetition reward pattern, um, for 21 days, 30 days, you know, some some uh, period of three to four weeks, uh, that's what builds a habit. Well, when we look at and I started uh, diving into some more of this work. Um, it, it, the science tells us that that's not the case. We see that um, studies show that it's really much more like 60 to 90 days at a minimum for simple habits. So simple habits are going to be things that are, you know, pretty uh, non-intrusive, relatively easy to do. It could be things like getting up a little early, uh, maybe shifting to morning exercise versus evening exercise. Um, things that that we can achieve with relatively um, little friction. Um, that's that takes more like uh, sixty to ninety days, so two to three months. That's 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 much longer than this. You know, really kind of marketing that we've been uh, told about about habit forming. Um, and that comes from, from, uh, from laboratory testing, um, in a series of studies that, that shows that again, longer term, uh, commitment is really what it takes to build habits. So the reason this struck me is because so often as athletes, we think about things in blocks of time, right? We think about the training it's going to take to achieve a certain goal, to reach a level of fitness, to build habits around exercise. Um, and we think that, um, that that might just take a short period of time. Um, and what we can see from the science is that it really takes a commitment. Um, and it's not something that we can reach in, um, in a quick training plan. You know, if we look at it in terms of, um, language that we're used to using as athletes, like training plans and traditional periodization. We see things like, you know, eight, 12, 16 week training blocks. Um, so if we use that lens to think about habit forming and to think about long-term success as athletes, we can see that, you know, the bare minimum is going to be a relatively lengthy commitment to start to see some habits. Um, and it tells us that, you know, maybe the 12-week training plan um, in a build-up to a race uh, or an event or peak performance um, isn't isn't enough time to really realize our full potential. Uh, now, I'm not saying it can't be successful, but again, thinking about habits and if our goal is to be the best versions of ourselves and set ourselves up for success, these limited blocks of time um, that we've traditionally operated in as athletes um, might not be um, enough time, right? So if 60 to 90 days is the bare minimum for simple habits, um, we're seeing that, you know, six months a year, uh, or more can be the, uh, the bare minimum for some of these complex habits, um, which would be things like, you know, really pushing yourself, uh, from a fitness perspective, uh, getting in more time in your primary discipline. So more volume on the run and bike, making time in your schedule, um, carving out, places to, to be able to, uh, pursue your, your personal goals while also balancing your other responsibilities. These are very, very complex things that we have to really commit to, and that could take much longer. So that just struck me as, you know, a difference in kind of language and context that we've used as athletes to position ourselves for success when really 
that might not be enough time, right? Scientifically, from a brain chemistry perspective, um, we might not be um, allowing ourselves to really see these things through to the fullest extent and build habits that allow us to um, to realize our full potential season after season. And a lot of that's because habits fall away, right? We commit to a short period of time. We say, okay, I'm going to do this thing for 12 or 16 weeks or 20 weeks or whatever. Um, and we might just be starting to, to get started with habit forming when we, we fall off, right? We've committed to that relatively short period of time. Um, and so as athletes, it might be worth thinking, are we doing ourselves a disservice, right? Do we need more time to think about habit forming? Um, I'm not saying that that is or isn't the case, but certainly uh, the science behind this got me thinking uh, in that direction. So another interesting thing about habit timing, um, and again, specific to to ourselves as, uh, as athletes and the athlete community, is that although um, what's called habit memory uh, which is, again, this kind of just thing that we do uh, without thinking about it. The example I gave about tying our shoes. The habit memory um, uh, can take, uh, that can take some time. But, um, excuse me, habit memory can take shape actually more quickly. So the long-term um, habitual um, activity, um, that's the thing that takes uh, longer time, uh, right? So that's your 60, 90 days at a minimum. Habit memory uh, can actually take shape more quickly. And the reason that this is important is because where it comes into play is when we fall off the wagon, right? When we, when we don't do, um, uh, when we don't stick to our habits, um, when we uh, miss a day, right? Miss a couple days, uh, make uh, decisions that aren't in line with what we hope to achieve, um, you know, from a diet perspective, hydration, nutrition, whatever it is. Um, so this habit memory can actually form more quickly. And what it tells us is that once we start to really sink our teeth into a habit, we commit um, and uh, within a relatively short period of time, so this could be um, you know, uh, a couple of weeks, um, this habit memory starts to form where we're already starting to think about um, how we can set ourselves up for success to repeat that, um, that habit so that we can get the reward. So it's not habitual yet, but we're certainly moving um, in that direction. And the reason that that's applicable um, for us as athletes is it means that if we miss a workout, uh, if our goal is to get up uh, at six o'clock in the morning to do a workout because our evenings get busy and we keep getting distracted or detoured from from what we want to accomplish, if our goal is to get up at six and we we nail it down for a couple of weeks and then we have a rough week, um, things get busy, um, whatever it is, we don't feel well. It doesn't mean that that the habit forming process is completely derailed. And it actually tells us that. When we start back again, we don't start back from scratch. That, uh, that habit memory is, uh, is there, and it's easier to pick up where we left off. So I think that's critical because we're so often so hard on ourselves when we, uh, when we misstep uh, as athletes uh, oh, and as humans, right? But, I mean, again, specifically to, um, to what we're, we're talking about through the, through the lens of, 
of being athletes, you know, we miss a workout, we have a bad day, we, we don't sleep, whatever it is, and we, we get, we're so hard on ourselves. Um, it's the intent uh, that really matters. So moving in that direction and continuing to commit to moving in that direction actually makes it easier to pick up where we left off versus starting back from square one. And I think, you know, we have that in our minds so often. It's like, oh, I missed now that, you know, I got to start back from scratch. The habit is, is over. Or, or, you know, it's, it hasn't taken shape yet. Um, so here I got to start back, you know, uh, at the, at zero and build up to 90 days. Um, that's not the case. So I, that's a really, that's a really key thing to, to keep in mind is that it's, it's the intent. We want to move in that direction in a way that we continue to as best as we can, um, elicit that, that reward response so that we can build these long-term habits. Um, next thing specific to, um, again, specific to this time of year and of course, specific to, to all of us being athletes. And this really ties back to the willpower and self-control component, um, is that in order for a habit to stick, you have to enjoy it. Um, and I think that that probably needs to be repeated um, because what, again, there's this, there's this mindset that is pervasive uh, and I'm certainly guilty of it at, at times. And uh, even though I'm cognizant that I'm doing it is that we, the willpower and self-control is what moves the needle, right? If we just put our head down and do the work, um, that's going to create habits, which build, uh, you know, builds progress, which equals success, so on and so forth. Um, and again, what we see is that that largely doesn't create habits. If you don't enjoy it, you, you can't stick with it. And I think, um, what, where this is most important is, is thinking about goal setting thinking about our expectations as athletes and what we hope to accomplish. So when we sit down, again, now's, now's really a timely um, period in the, the season um, to, to think about these things. Whether you're in the Northern Hemisphere or Southern Hemisphere, um, we're in a transitional period. Um, and um, so when we think about goal setting – what are we trying to accomplish? And is the thing we're trying to accomplish uh, enjoyable? Is it something that we get excited about? And where I see this shine most brightly um, is when athletes think about, they set their sights on doing something that they're not really that excited about. So an example of that could be, um, I see it manifest itself in a, in a couple different ways. One place is that uh, an athlete used to focus on um, a particular discipline. Let's say that athlete was um, an ultra distance uh, mountain bike racer. So they raced, um, you know, marathon distance and above, uh, so, you know, 50 plus mile mountain bike races. And that's what they used to do. And they were good at it. And they were, they, at least they enjoyed it. And they achieved a level of success that was commensurate with their expectations. Now, fast forward 5, 10, 20, however many years, 
they still have it in their mind because they're drawing from past experiences. They still have it in their mind. That's what they have to be to be successful. But if we really look at what they'd enjoy, they really enjoy trail running now. They enjoy the idea of developing uh, different areas of their athleticism. They really enjoy strength training, yoga, um, whatever it is, but they feel tied to these past experiences such that it detracts from the joy or enjoyment that they experience when executing the training necessary to prepare for these events. So that's one place. You don't have to be what you used to be, right? Know that your athletic identity can evolve and use that as a springboard to think about what process you're going to enjoy. Um, The other place that I see it manifest itself is athletes getting pulled in a direction by, uh, by their peers, right? So they ride with people, they run with people, they train with people that are doing a certain thing. They sign up for that thing, you know, really almost out of peer pressure, and they're not excited about it. They don't like the idea of training for it, whether it's too long or too, you know, fat, discipline, they're not excited about, whatever it is, but they do it because because their friends are doing it or their peer group or, you know, whatever it is, whatever their exposure to that thing is. Um, And that's an important pitfall to stay away from. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, kind of getting drug along by your friends and then showing up and doing a thing and lo and behold, that's exciting and you had fun and enjoyed it. There are experiences like that that can shine through. But generally, you need to to enjoy it uh, and you need to think about ways that you can set yourself up uh, to enjoy the experience. Um, and in that same vein, uh, an important kind of tangential point is that, um, guilt is not a good motivator. So again, what we've seen from the science of habit forming is that kind of guilt and self-loathing, uh, feeling bad about not reaching our goals, not forming our habits that doesn't get us any closer to building strong habits. Um, and so specific to training, you know, we can't just feel bad about ourselves for not doing a particular thing. And that guilt is what drives us forward. And then we layer in willpower and self-control and we think that's going to, you know, hopefully get us to the, to, to the end goal. That's a really kind of unhealthy foundational place to, to launch from. Um, so we don't want to use guilt um, as, as a motivator. And this is, you know, again, specific examples, missing a workout, you know, feeling guilty doesn't get us any, um, it doesn't give us that positive reward, um, that we need. Actually, if we think about it or look at it from a brain chemistry perspective, if dopamine is the, is the chemical that we're looking for, for the positive reward, if we use guilt as a motivator, that actually doesn't elicit the same response. And so it actually pulls us into this kind of negative feedback loop um, from a brain chemistry perspective. uh, And that sets us up for even more damning uh, results as we move forward with that same mindset. And that's pervasive um, in the uh, kind of nutrition diet um, side of things where, you know, we eat something that we feel like is not in line with our goals and we feel guilty. Um, and then we, you know, restrict calories or we restrict food or we restrict, 
restrict our enjoyment of food, um, and that becomes a very unhealthy relationship relatively quickly. Um, and it can be the same thing on the exercise front as well. Um, so, so guilt, um, again, enjoyment, not guilt, right? We want to make sure that we enjoy what we're doing and that's, what's going to build good habits. Um, so a couple things, um, specific to how we carve out. Um, so now that we know kind of what habits are, how we think about them, um, how we can position ourselves for success, some, some maybe pitfalls to stay away from. Um, how, do we, how do we build them, right? How do we actually do these things that we're talking about? How do we end up, you know, 90 days from now, 120 days from now um, with habits that we want to have? Um, because we're all, we're all at kind of the starting block, right? Now, a lot of us have good habits in place already. But again, Typically, this time of year, we're all in that zone. Uh, we're at least thinking about how we can position ourselves for success somewhere down the road. So what are, um, what can we do? How do we make good habits? So habits come in uh, really two stages. Um, first stage is there is a little bit of willpower in there. So I've said that, you know, willpower, self-control, that's not what leads to long-term success when it comes to habit forming. But you do need a little bit of that push to get off your ass, right? So if the goal is to exercise uh, regularly to be healthier, you, you got to get out of your chair, right? So that, that movement is willpower, so that's so the first the first stage is making a, making a decision to try and do something. So you're saying, okay, this is important to me. Um, I'm gonna try to do it. I want to make it a habit. Um, and that that next push is where willpower comes in. Okay, so it's not non-existent, but it kind of starts and stops in that zone. All right, I made a decision. It's important to me. I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to the gym or go for a bike ride or run, whatever. That, that moment is willpower. That's stage one. Stage two is maintenance. Well, this is where we all have trouble, right? I would argue relatively easy, not, not inconsequential, but relatively easy to make that first push. Maintenance, sticking with it, that's when we have trouble, that's when things get a little, uh, get, get tough, right? Uh, and we, you know, failure is, is a potential option. Um, so this, so the, so stage two, the maintenance piece, that's, that's a habit, right? That's what we're aiming for. That's when we actually build the, um, that's the repetition piece that I mentioned earlier, context, repetition, reward, we have to have the repetition. So again, first push, important, but not what builds a habit. That's an action. And it's, it's good, but it's not a habit. So stage two, and, and the, the you know, majority of, of the habit-forming process is, um, is maintenance. And so that's, we always want to think about the behavior, right? So the action is, okay, I got to get up. Now, what's the behavior that I'm going to need to exhibit to, to maintain that action? So 
again, just important, I think, to kind of position that appropriately in our mind. And it ties back to willpower again, like that, that action is not what we're trying to replicate every day. Um, that's what gets us going. And then it's behavioral. Um, then it's positioning us for success, thinking about ways that we can. Um, and, and the next thing that's important is to think about ways we can reduce friction. So friction is a big part of the maintenance piece. Um, and, and it's, it's what it sounds like. How can we um, replicate that action in a way that we encounter the least amount of friction, the least amount of barriers? Um, that uh, has been shown to be the biggest indicator of success when it comes to habit-forming behaviors. So um, there's all kinds of examples of this, right? But um, the people that are most successful with long-term habit forming, um, position themselves to have the least amount of friction. So let's use exercise as an example. Your goal is to work out in the morning. Well, if traditionally you, um, you had to get up, uh, your alarm goes off. Um, it's sometime that's maybe earlier than you would prefer. Uh, you got to get dressed you got to get all your gear together. You got to go, say you go to the gym, that's a drive, maybe get in your car, maybe it's dark, Um, right? So on and so forth. We can see lots of opportunities for friction there. Um, So let's take that same example and think about how we can reduce friction. So if you're a cyclist or a runner, um, can we, uh, one, can we bring that stuff closer to home? So get up, prepare your stuff the night before, right? If you want to eat breakfast, um, have that prepared. If you need water, if you need coffee, uh, if you need nutrition during your exercise, have all that prepared the night before, have it set up so you don't have to take any of those steps, lay your clothes out, get your gear ready. Um, That's already a big step in the right direction. Maybe you still have to drive to the gym, but all you got to do is grab and go. Um, Go ahead and load it all in your car even. Um, Next reduction in friction might be that you could do that at home. Maybe you have an indoor trainer, uh, a treadmill. Can you set that up, right? Is all it takes is to go in the next room to execute a workout. Uh, If it's strength training, do you have some equipment at home that you can set up so you don't have to go to the gym? So thinking about, you can see, taking steps proactively to reduce friction um, is, is is a massive step in the right direction. Because so often when we don't stick to our habits, the excuse or the reason has to do with friction, right? Um, I was going to do my workout in the evening. I was driving home. I got stuck in traffic. That was my window. I only had an hour and a half to exercise. I got stuck in traffic for an hour. By the time I got home, I needed to spend time with my family. Okay, what can we do it in the morning? right? Can we, what, what can we do? Um, can you exercise close to work? Is there a gym uh, or an exercise facility somewhere close? So again, thinking about ways to position yourself for success, break down and reduce the friction. Um, and the, the athletes that I see that do the best job of execution consistently 
um, and have really strong habits have very little friction when it comes to their execution uh, from a training perspective. Um, And they set themselves up. They think very critically about how to set themselves up for success. Another example would be if your goal is to eat healthier um, versus um, having junk food in your pantry or your refrigerator and trying to um, to have the willpower and self-control to stay away from that stuff, don't buy it, right? Friction removed. Um, so, you know, again, we think that we can out-willpower ourselves um, into a position of success or habits. Really what it comes down to might be that we just need to work on reducing the friction. Um, so, that's a big way to start to move in the direction of productive habits, reduce friction. Um, and then the other piece, and I touched on it a little bit uh, uh, earlier, is the behavioral piece. So we want to think about um, the behavior. So motivation and willpower, um, they don't address the key piece of the puzzle, and that's behavior. Um, so These are going to be questions like, you know, what am I doing? Is it sustainable? If it's not sustainable, how can I make it sustainable? Um, These are behavioral questions. And and it also ties into one of my favorite topics, which is process, performance, and outcome-based goals. So goal identification. Um, What we see here is that the behavioral piece um, has to be focused on the process, Right, so so outcomes don't elicit behaviors; they don't drive behaviors. W- what we need to think about is the process. What can I do um, to make myself successful? What can I do now, today, tomorrow, to limit friction or reduce friction? Um, it it can't be driven by the outcome uh, because it's too far away right? It's not in our grasp. We don't have any control over it. Um, So, you know, let's use a classic New Year's example. I want to lose weight, right? The majority of Americans are overweight. um, And so that's a a standard goal uh, for most people. They want to get healthy. They want to feel better in their bodies. That's That's a fantastic goal. But if they lead with, I want to lose five pounds, then that's that's your that's your motivation that's your willpower approach right you have to you have to 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 put the pieces in place you have to use willpower to get there versus saying what can i do to position myself to lose 5 pounds right and i've talked a lot about language as well in the podcast how the language we use can be used to produce or elicit the response and the, and the success that we want to have. And this is a classic example, right? Shifting the language towards a behavioral-based perspective so that we can build healthy habits. So we don't lead with, I want to lose five pounds. We lead with, what can I do today to be healthier? Maybe that starts with exercise. Maybe it's a walk. Um, maybe it's trying to make one healthy decision when it comes to our diet uh, each day. Whatever it is, small steps that we can build into habits that can um, ultimately build towards our outcome. So another thing we can do uh, is put behavior first, right? 
Um, that's how we can start to build, build habits. Um, so, you know, again, so often we try to kind of will it into existence and it just won't stick if we don't leave, uh, or lead with the behavioral piece. Um, so, you know, overarchingly, I, I think I see this as, as something that really links to, um, something that I care very deeply about, which is, which is how we think about ourselves as athletes, our athletic identity, and how that ultimately can be used to build ourselves up or create lifelong athletes. My passion is to facilitate the growth of athletes in such a way where they're athletic, uh, they're athletes, and they realize the uh, intrinsic value of being an athlete um, for, for the rest of their lives, right? So not just an event, not just 16 weeks where we feel really good and we feel fit and then we fall off and we, you know, we, we do this kind of boom and bust approach to, to training or, or athleticism. I want to, I want to provide athletes the tools to, to understand the value and, and, and reap the benefits of being an athlete for the rest of their lives. And, and I think I see a direct corollary or correlation here between that mindset and and habit forming, where um, you know these habits, if we give them the time that they require and they deserve, they're going to help bolster this idea of a strong athletic identity, uh, of a sustainable athletic identity, where we're comfortable in goals that can shift, expectations that move throughout the seasons, um, ways that we feel productive as athletes, um, because it takes time, right? It's not just 12 weeks or 16 weeks. It's, it's a long-term commitment to being better versions of ourselves and putting behaviors first and using the right language so that we can, uh, we can be productive, we can feel good, uh, and we can realize our full potential in whatever capacity that is. It might not be that we're our peak fitness or that we won a particular race, but there's ways that that, that success can manifest itself um, in, in other areas. And one of the areas is habit forming. So um, having p- habits in place that allow us to feel successful day in and day out, um, no matter kind of what happens externally, uh, what happens with uh, race calendars, with, you know, the highs and lows of, of training and how we balance all that. So, so if there's no other takeaway, hopefully um, that's, my, that's my goal, is that, that we see the link between how we think about habits and how we set ourselves up for success, not just for this season, not just for the spring, not just for the summer, but for for long term, um, because there's value in um, in uh, in that approach, um, such that it gives us these process based and these behavioral um, based um, success stories um, day in and day out. So. Um, Thank you guys so much. Um, I hope this was uh, this was a helpful conversation. Again, um, happy New Year to everyone. As we think about how we set ourselves up for success and think about habit forming, um, I hope that uh, that this helps uh, you guys uh, think a little more clearly about how um, you can put habits in place for yourself uh, and be successful in doing so. 
Um, if you have any questions at all, um, we're always here to help at Thomas Endurance Coaching. So you can go to our website, thomasendurancecoaching.com, um, and you can reach out to us. We are always happy to chat. We can put you um, uh, in place uh, with a qualified coach uh, to talk about goal setting, habit forming, expectations, uh, reaching your full potential, all the things that we talk about uh, here today and on other episodes of the podcast. So thanks as always for joining. Uh, I'm Taylor Thomas, and I look forward to seeing you next time.